0: Hey there, you're listening to the Aligned Women Podcast, the original podcast for women in chiropractic. If doing all the things you were told to do to grow your practice have left you overwhelmed and exhausted, you're in the right place. I'm Dr. Danielle Eaton, the founder of Aligned Women. We help women in chiropractic who are just like you to grow profitable practices without sacrificing being present with your family. If you're done with spinal screenings and health fears, you want more time for them, money in your bank account, and a practice that you love without sacrificing your health, be sure to grab the Aligned Chiropractor's Survival Guide at AlignedChiroSurvivalGuide.com. Now sit back, take a deep breath, and enjoy today's episode. Well, hey there, welcome to episode 152 of the Aligned Women podcast. Okay, I am recording this introduction for the fourth time and I, re- I re-recorded because one of my kiddos came in and just started talking while I was talking to the microphone. <laughs> then the next time um, the dogs were barking in the background, the next time I was thinking that I was recording and I was not actually recording. <laughs> so this is my fourth try. Um, if I sound a little snarky, It's probably because I'm a little frustrated right now. I bet you can relate because there's some weird things going on in your life and in your practice too. Things that might feel frustrating to you, things that might make you feel just like, I don't really want to do this. I don't really want to wear a mask, but here I am doing it. I don't really want to adjust people with gloves on, but here I am doing it. And there might be times that you're feeling like you just want to throw in the towel. Well, just remember, that yes, right now times are strange. We're doing weird things. We're doing things that we thought or that we never thought that we would have to do. We're making decisions about things we never thought we'd have to make decisions about. And yet here we are. It's pretty amazing, actually, when you think about it, that we are able to do the to do these things, like to put in the systems or even the expectations across. Our profession across the nation as quickly as we have collectively. Now, I know (laughs) there are some expectations that are coming that are not good expectations. They're not expectations that are healthy. They're not expectations we want to have expected of us. That's a whole different topic for another day. Speaking of other topics, (laughs) today's episode, I'm bringing you a guest to the show. You know, I don't do that many interviews anymore. Interestingly, this person that I'm interviewing for you today, she reached out to us and she not, well, it wasn't her directly, but her team reached out to us and asked if we were interested in having her on the show. Quite honestly, when people pitch us, I'm like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> because most of the time I'm they're, they're like someone from a marketing company who wants to Who wants to grow their business? There's nothing wrong with that. But it's just like, it doesn't necessarily feel like an authentic fit for our show, especially since we really haven't been doing interviews for the last couple of years. It makes me wonder sometimes are they really looking at at our podcast and like what it's all about? Well, as I looked at this person's um, bio, I just thought, she seems nice. (laughs) Why not give her a try? I never interview someone and tell them it's a done deal before the interview. I always say, we're going to do the interview. And then after the interview, I'll decide if it gets to be on the podcast or not. That way, if the interview is just not something that I don't, it's something that I am not confident will bring you value, then we don't have to put it on the podcast. So today's guest is Jennifer Thompson. And I'm sure that Jennifer will be pleased to hear. She passed my test twice. (laughs) She passed my screening of people who pitch us to be on the podcast and she passed the post interview, um, screening of like, we're actually putting this interview on the podcast. Next. I want to let you know that. Well, okay. First I got I tell you this, just as you've experienced, there's lots of stuff coming my way that says, Hey, you should be doing this. Hey, you should be doing this. Now's the time to get on this bandwagon. Now's the time to get on that bandwagon. Um, telehealth, anyone, if you miss last week's episode, by the way, and you're feeling lots of pressure to figure out how to offer telehealth in your practice, go listen to last uh, last week's episode. It's 151 in which I share with you why maybe you don't want to get on the telehealth bandwagon right now. And it's not a judgment. If you are doing telehealth, (laughs) it's just to give you a different perspective of like, maybe some permission even to say, you know what, this isn't for me right now and let it be okay. Now, I've been feeling like, oh man, I should be doing this. I should be doing this. I should talk about this on the podcast and I should have this episode out there. And yet we had all of the next few weeks of episodes planned out for you um, several weeks ago, like before a pandemic happened weeks ago. So we're moving forward with the planned episodes, despite a big global pandemic that happened before, or no, sorry, after these episodes were recorded. With the exception of today's um, interview, this is the only one that was recorded after things really spiced up in the US. So keep that in mind as you listen to them, but I still feel like each one of them brings you something valuable to hear. Um, But my point in sharing this with you is that I feel like, oh my gosh, I should be bringing you more. I should be helping you in new ways. I should be doing something better or different. Ah, it all feels like so much pressure. And I am also keeping myself in check because, you know, like comparing aligned women to any other business is not helpful. My kids are home more than ever right now. My nanny does awesome with them. And like I enforce this rule with them that if my office door is closed, they can only come in if it's an emergency. But as you just heard at the beginning of this introduction, one of the kids still came in today while I was recording a podcast and it wasn't an emergency. So things are not perfect. My, um, what do I call her? My right-hand woman, Maya, she does all of the technical stuff behind the scenes and a whole lot more. Her kids are out of school they're, well, they're not going to school, but they're distance learning at home. So she's facilitating that while also navigating working, which means we're all working different schedules than usual, and we're all just like figuring out this new dance. Like we balancing life and motherhood <laughs> and work was a challenge before, but it's like an incrementally more incrementally no, that's not the word. Exponentially more difficult dance now than it has ever been for working moms. So where does that leave us? Best case scenario, I'll put together a couple of bonus episodes that will sprinkle in over the next couple of weeks to share some really relevant um, thoughts, ideas, concepts, insights, inspiration, whatever comes out through those episodes for you. And that's the best case scenario. Worst case scenario is that we don't do that, and you'll just hear the interviews that I had pre-planned for you over the next few weeks. So on that note, today's guest is Jennifer Thompson, and you know, wouldn't you know, I had her bio open, and I closed it because I thought I was done recording this, and then the dog started barking. All right, so let me pull it back up. I'm just going to talk to you for a moment while I'm looking for her bio again. Um, and, and while I'm doing that, let me just tell you that even as an introvert, there's probably nothing I would love more right now than to get out of the house <laughs> and to like, to see you, to spend time with you in person, to hug you, <laughs> to high five you. And yet that's not happening. And it's probably not happening anytime soon, unfortunately. Okay. But the good news is that I can send you a virtual high five. I can send you a virtual hug and that feels right now, like it's better than nothing at least. Okay. While I was ranting, I found Jennifer's bio at this point. Now this is the fourth time I'm reading it to a microphone. So I've almost got it memorized, (laughs) but not quite. So Jennifer Thompson Is the president of her own company, which is called Insight Marketing Group. Jennifer launched Insight Marketing Group in 2006, which was, of course, before the last recession. So, in her interview today, you'll get to hear from Jennifer what she learned from starting and growing a business during a recession. Hmm. So, I would encourage you to take what you hear from Jennifer and ask yourself how this applies to you if you are thinking about starting a practice this year, or if you had just started a practice in January or February, and now here we are in April, and things look a lot different than what you anticipated they would at this point in the year. In 2010 and in 2014, Jennifer was elected to the Orange County Board of County Commissioners, where she made decisions that impacted millions of citizens and millions of visitors. So as Jennifer shares from her unique perspective, serving in that role and um, how it has shaped her as a business owner and as a marketer as well. I think that it brings you some unique perspectives that you can potentially apply to yourself as a leader in your community. Jennifer describes herself as a serial entrepreneur and she wakes up at four o'clock every day ready to change the world. Um, God bless you, Jennifer. (laughs) Now Jennifer shares in her interview that she doesn't have kids. I mean, I used to wake up kind of like ready to change the world. And then I had babies and then I had like years of sleep deprivation. And, um, that like 4am stuff is long gone out the window. Maybe they'll be back one day, but right now with a two-year-old, I still feel like I'm recovering. I bet you feel the same way if you've got little ones or even not so little ones, like sleep is a big priority. Anyway, Um, Jennifer has been invited to share her knowledge at multiple MGMA association meetings and conferences, the Florida bones conference, the American Academy of orthopedic surgeons, and the AOA 36 on the topics of social media, reputation management, and leadership. She's also the co-host of the doctor marketing tips podcast, which just like this podcast is available on iTunes. All right. So on that note, then let's dive into today's interview episode. Hello, everyone. I am here today with a guest to the show. Um, This is her first time here. Her name is Jennifer Thompson. So Jennifer, I'm going to let you introduce yourself and share a bit about who you are and your family, and then we'll take it from there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on the show. I've um, listened to quite a few episodes. I think you have a, a great product that you put out there and a lot of value that you add to your listener base. So you should be, certainly be proud of what you've put together. I um, really came into this to this world of marketing. I own and, and run a marketing firm, have been doing this since 2006. Since 2008, I've been working exclusively with independent physician practices um, not not solely chiropractic, but orthopedic, physical therapy, um, ear, nose, throat, gastroenterologist, you name it, we run the gamut of it. And um, got into that kind of as a byproduct of years ago, I ran for public office and I lost. And when I came out of that experience, I just couldn't go back to to working in marketing for this large corporation that I was working for and ended up going out on my own and building a business. And before the recession in 2008, got exclusively into healthcare and have never looked back and just found myself last year coming back into my role as a business owner full-time after finishing an eight year stint as a elected official in my hometown. As one of seven people responsible for a $4.1 billion budget and the number one tourist destination of the world. And so, what I found that I learned in that role, I've transferred it over to kind of some strategic marketing with my clients, which, as I said, are just straight up medical practices and really have opened my eyes to what works and what doesn't work. And so um, it's been a great ride. I, I don't have any kids. I have a fantastic 20-year-old Jack Russell Terrier who acts like she's about a year old. 20 and, years um, old, wow. She's right at 20 years old. And I <laughs> and I um, recently have moved my mother in with me after I got divorced, um, lost my husband to bipolar disorder. He's still alive, but he um, went down a different path and we ended up parting ways and a couple of years ago, moved my mother in with me. And so she is my family. I have a five-year-old niece and a old as heck dog that's running around the house right now trying to get into my office. So it's been a roundabout way that I've made it here, but those experiences I think have just made me a stronger person and and better for the business and and for my employees. You can see my cat
0: over my shoulder. She's (laughs) notoriously always in my office. I don't
1: see her. I'm looking for her.
0: Oh yeah. Okay. There she is. Yeah. And right now she's behaving, but sometimes she likes to knock on the door to let me know she wants to I leave or um, come in. And we also three weeks ago got not one, but two Labrador puppies that are males and they're crazy right now they're outside. So hopefully we won't <laughs> hear them. Hopefully they'll stay outside for a bit, but heads up to our listeners. You might be hearing some pets join the show today and moving forward. Cause these dogs aren't going anywhere anytime soon. So as I'm listening to you talk about starting your business in 2006, I was like, oh, you've, you've already gone through a recession and an economic crisis as a business owner. So how are you feeling now, having had that experience with what we're facing moving forward in the economy today?
1: All right. So I, I feel like I should knock on wood literally on this big wooden desk I have in front of me because I'm feeling at the moment. Okay. Now let me preface that with, um, so I said my mother lives with me and she is, my mom's young. She had me when she was um, she was 15 years old when she had me. So she's almost like a sister. She's also a business owner to give you how these, these opposing views are. She's had to close her business completely because she's um, she owns a restaurant has for about the last 15 years And her experience is extremely different than mine. My experience, I learned back in 2008 that you have to make, you have to have a plan and you have to be able to come to that plan very quickly and you have to make decisions very fast. And so in 2008, I had uh, my husband and I at the time had two businesses and we didn't let people go or deal with what was in front of us fast enough. And I think because that recession had kind of a slow creep. So we took on a tremendous amount of debt and just, you know, with debt comes the weight of the world that goes with it. And it took us years to get out of that. And had I think had we not made that decision right around that time where we landed the first healthcare client to only work in healthcare, I don't think I'd be having this conversation. But for this one, because I think it was quick and we saw like it was just a matter of days before the economy stopped. I um I made some really quick decisions. And I think these the decisions I made, maybe they will help your listeners too. So I immediately had a conversation with all my employees and I explained to them straight up what potentially could happen. I said, I got everybody together and we had to do it over Zoom and I got everybody together. We've about 10 of us and I said, look, guys. We're going to have to, all contractors, all 1099s at this moment. I'm telling you, I will not be able to use you for services in the coming months in the immediate. And then I said, we have about two and a half, three months of cash flow that we are completely okay if everything shut off today. So I want everyone to understand what's going on. And I want you to understand that if we have to do something that we'll have a daily huddle, I'll be completely open with you. And I just laid out how this communication pattern was going to work. It took a lot of weight off my shoulders and it gave them kind of a heads up of what was happening. The next thing I did was I immediately pulled out lines of credit. So I, I grabbed as much cash as I could. Having that cash has made it where I can sleep at night. Mm-hmm. And granted, I'm going to have to pay some minimums on that cash and that's okay. But having that cash made it where I can sleep at night. And then of course, like everyone else, as soon as these, these loan programs became available, I went after those loans, um, aggressively. And now I will say, I, I hear today that the money's run out so far. I haven't gotten one, but at least I went after it and went in to, to make sure that that was an option. And then finally I looked at what my client needs were. And we immediately started brainstorming on how we can become completely indispensable for our clients. And we've pivoted enough to become that indispensable strategic partner. And I haven't had anybody that has canceled service with us yet. I think my receivables will be down about 30% this next month coming in. Um, But I'm feeling okay about the situation, but I think I'm okay because I've been really honest and transparent and I put some money in the bank immediately.
0: Yeah. 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 As soon as things started to shift here, March 10th was approximately the date. I was hosting a webinar that day. So I remember the date specifically. I thought, oh, wow. (laughs) And as the week went on, um, March 10th through, that was a Tuesday. So through the week and then to the weekend, I called an emergency meeting with my team members on that Saturday. And I was like, listen, I know it's Saturday, but things are getting really intense. Um, and I, I felt like the sense of urgency that I was feeling was maybe uh, exaggerated in a way, but my philosophy is plan for the worst case scenario. <laughs> and if the, if something better than that happens, then great. Um, not that we want to manifest the worst case scenario, but it's better to be prepared
1: for it than to not have been prepared for it. Well, and and ultimately, you like me, were the buck stops here, and so the weight of you know that level of responsibility. Don't you don't want to string people along, and you certainly don't want to dig a hole. So I think being authentic and and really transparent and everything that's going on with the people that are counting on you that's the that's the mark of a leader. Now I had ordered um I had ordered a car, so I had was waiting on a new car to come in. And I hadn't sold my other car yet. And I had like, this was all starting to go down. And I was like, "Let me, I gotta better get rid of my car immediately because I don't want a second car coming in. And then the car came. I went ahead and sold my old car. The car came and I said, I'm not going to take it. So I gave it back. And it wasn't about not being able to afford a car, but it was about what was that going to say to the people that were counting on me if I went ahead and bought this new car. So I got rid of my car. I didn't take the other car. So now I don't have one, but that's okay. Cause we're not allowed outside. And, um, I, I immediately also reached into my house to pull out some money to see what I had, because I just think if you, if you're, if you're sane and you're taken care of, then you'll be okay to take care of the people around you. And especially as a mom, you can understand that because your kids look to you to be calm in, in crisis and, you know, just like your employees and your team members look for you to be calm. So yeah, yeah this is a, this, I think in a couple of years, all of us that survive this will look back and um, it'll make us stronger. For sure.
0: Yes. I think in a lot of ways it already is making people stronger, <clears throat> but it's about choosing the perspective to allow it to make you stronger. And you could, you could certainly just be spiraling in fear right now.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Um, so my intention with our, with your interview today, wasn't necessarily to talk about the recession that's coming or (laughs) a pandemic, but here we are. It's the reality of what we're facing right now at the moment that we record this interview. Um, I'm curious to hear from you how you think that healthcare will be affected moving forward. I have a thought, but I want to hear yours and then I'll share, I'll share mine with you and see
1: if we kind of match up. Yeah. So for me, um, healthcare moving forward. So so I was sharing with you before we were starting. Like we've we've been working a lot in this whole telemedicine piece, and I don't think telemedicine changes healthcare, but I think what it does is the relaxing of the regulatory restrictions around telemedicine have forced it to the mainstream where people maybe thought years ago it was going to be in the mainstream mm-hmm. and the Medicare reimbursements now matching up to a, a more traditional um, appointment and a reimbursement that you would get. Those are the game changers because physicians and practitioners can now get paid for that service. And that to me is the game changer. So I don't know now that the train has kind of left the station, if it can be kind of brought back in And to to a certain degree, I think that's going to be driven by patients who now have an expectation for a certain kind of access. But with that said, and I also think, I think practitioners are going to want that level of flexibility that may or may not come with, with having that as a tool in the toolbox. But my bigger concern is what happens to the patient experience through this entire, like, adding this new level of care or this this new tool in the toolbox, how do you create that that relationship between provider and patient? And how do you do things like in rural America where you don't have the bandwidth for for telemedicine or where you um, you don't have like that the the ability to transfer the transfer of care isn't smooth anymore. You know, because I work with a lot of ortho orthopods. So like if you have one practice using one app, and you have another practice using something else, how do you have that transfer of care? So I think that impacts the whole experience. So I think that just maybe expectations to access change, but I don't think the practice of medicine changes in any way.
0: What do you think about how the business of healthcare will be affected? I I think it's really actually pretty insightful for you to think, to have the awareness that we're not going back to not having telemedicine, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's now going to be a thing to a new level moving forward. Mm-hmm. And how do you think that the business of healthcare will be affected overall?
1: I think, um, so, so from, from marketing standpoint, cause that's kind of my wheelhouse yes. is I think that especially in big markets where people have choice, That not offering these newer services, like a telemedicine option, are going to hamper providers when they're not willing to offer it. Because I think that consumers and patients have now got like a taste of what this could mean, and because of that, not saying they won't choose you because you—if it's just you and they have a relationship with you—then they're going to come into your practice. But if it's if they're a new patient and they have a, an option of having follow-up care through telemedicine, that may be something that they're that they're more interested in. I especially think the younger generation is going to be looking for the kind of flexibility of options. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and think I think overall, you know reimbursements and getting paid in cash-based yeah. business. I mean, if you can make money from it, people are going to make money from it. Exactly.
0: Yes. Overall, healthcare is a somewhat recession proof industry because people are always going to, to need to be aware of their health. And and then from there, you know, with our specialties, it's really dependent upon um like how what kind of business structure you have. So for us as chiropractors, you typically either own your own practice or you work as an associate where someone else owns their own practice. And we're in charge of our own marketing or we're not, because we're not doing any of it in some case, a lot of cases. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of scarcity in our profession. There's a lot of mindset that people can't afford the care that we offer. They don't want to pay for it. They don't see the value in it. And so we've got to start with a perspective first that's different from that and believe that we do have something valuable and that people will pay for it. And just remember, like, we, it's not like we're selling expensive, um, you know, designer watches or something. Like <laughs> people will still pay for those things even in a recession as well. But we're offering healthcare. We're offering healthcare. So you know, I think now, that
1: maybe there's um, maybe there's some opportunities too. Like when you're looking at it from the business side, maybe not looking at it from how do you acquire a patient side, but is there an opportunity? As I was talking about transfer of care, is there an opportunity to use kind of transfer of care as a relationship deepening kind of objective? And what I mean by that is we're doing a ton right now with building relationships through the referral community for, for, for our clients. And because we can't, um, because they can't go knock on doors to call, you know, referring partners, they're using old-fashioned fax machines, because the only people who still have fax machines are doctors. And so literally, they're faxing these bulk faxes to all of their referral partners, letting them know that they're open and accepting telemedicine appointments. And so, you know, how could you use something like, you know, you have an attorney who is representing um, slip and fall cases, who is looking to very quickly get somebody a consult or make that connection? And how could you use telemedicine, um, you know, from the attorney's office to the chiropractor's office? And if there's an additional consult to an orthopedic, you know, and, and use that as a transfer of care. So I think, you know, for the smart practitioner, there's probably, especially like the, the hustlers that are willing to like get in there and get scrappy and figure stuff out, there's probably an opportunity to rise above the rest using some of these new technologies but in terms of patient care i think that patients are just going to have a new expectation it's kind of like a typical branding and marketing like you know the brands are going to follow whatever the consumers are wanting and, and what they're doing so all the consumers right now are at home sitting on their couch so of course the brands are going to go back to tv and back to you know the kind of the traditional because they've got them you know in this captivated audience so there's you know, we're going to follow what the consumers are asking, but we've now given them a taste of this access. And um, I think that's going to be a differentiator for practices moving forward. That's
0: interesting to think about. Okay. So one of the things that um, we wanted to talk about in your interview today is how healthcare providers, chiropractors specifically, can um, utilize patient stories to help grow their practices. And as you described your your perspective on this. I thought this sounds a lot like what I am talking about with, with my clients and my students already. Um, so I would love for you to, well, I guess really the question is where do you want to get started (laughs) as we head down this path?
1: All right. So let me, let me start with, I, um, did, so I have a podcast episode. Are we going to do this as a video? Because I'm so dark.
0: Oh, it's okay. I usually
1: okay. don't use a video. We could. Good. But I usually don't. No, it's fine. <laughs> I'm just. I'm so dark. Um, I'm sitting in a dark room, obviously. So, so I have a, a, a show I do called the Doctor Marketing Tips Podcast, and we're like 240 episodes, I think, into this thing. And I don't know, maybe 20, 25 episodes back, we ran into Corey and I. were, were co-hosts on the show. We both kind of read this Wall Street Journal article. And the journal article is just talking about how reviews and people are so quick to go online and to talk about the negatives and some of the technology and the algorithms and the way that the algorithms are working for, from a customer service standpoint. And it referenced this research study done by this company called Womply. And Womply, and I'll send you all of these links if you want them. Womply is a credit card processing company. So, um, they did a study of 25,000 freestanding healthcare clinics and medical centers and looked at their credit card processing data directly related to star ratings and online reviews. And it was really like the more I dove into that data, the more it kind of reinforced what I was hearing from my providers all the time. Because our docs will tell us, and maybe you've heard this from some of your clients, but our docs will tell us, I had this one star review and this guy was that was a work comp case and he just didn't want to go to back to work. Can you get it off of the front page of Google? And for years, I felt like we were chasing our tail, trying to get negative reviews removed. And then finally, we're like, Doc, you got to stop worrying about these negative reviews and you need to start worrying about like getting to the root of the problem and dealing with why they're negative in the first place. So, we found this study, and I'm just gonna give you some top level data. It said that healthcare and medical centers that claim their listings on three or more of the review sites so, think about it Google, HealthGrade, Yelp, Vitals, any of those they get on average 26% higher revenue than the practices that don't.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, right okay. there, go <laughs> in and claim your reviews. And then it said practices who don't respond to reviews you know, when the negative review happens and they don't at least say, you know what, they don't acknowledge that they're a patient, but they don't even offer like here, if you have, if, if you want to talk to somebody, here's a phone number, they see a 6% less revenue than the practices that do respond. And then the data goes on and on. It says that five-star rated healthcare practices earn below average revenue Um so five star rated practices earn less revenue than those practices with an average of a 4 to a 4.9 star. And that's because <laughs> oh. that's because people are smart and they know that you're not perfect. Hmm. And so like so the data goes on and on and I'll give you some of this cuz I think your listeners would probably really enjoy it because it kind of reinforces why it matters. And so so with the practices we work with, we don't we we guide the, them to say it's not about your credentials it's not about you've been in practice for 10 years and you have this certification and that certification. You know, I expect my provider to have these certifications when I'm choosing healthcare and I'm choosing it in large part because of what I'm reading online. But what I do care about are all those positive stories that other people are saying. And so if, you, if people will leave you reviews, you rise in the search rankings. And when people leave you reviews, it's the number one place that other people are going to when they're going to choose a provider and those reviews and those fans and those relationships, that's what you should be using in your marketing. You should be, why not? they if you have 10,000 reviews out there, grab those reviews and, and that's your ad for your local newspaper. That is your social media posting. Those are things that you can directly say thank you to and those help you create raving fans on social media so that those are the folks that are looking out for you they're the one telling your story it's like true word of mouth yeah. and when when somebody moves into a, a neighborhood and they go onto next door or their local facebook page those are the people who are going to say I recommend you go to this practice or you go see her. I like her cause she has two kids. Plus she's, she's a local chiropractor and she's been here for 10 years. Look at her star ratings and then people pop in and it's those recommendations. And that's, that's what's, that's what's fueling the most successful practices now. And the research backs up when you focus on these star ratings that, that the revenue comes with it. And so I just think I get it all the time. Like I don't have a lot of money to market my practice. I'm a one provider practice. I'm just getting out and I'm just getting started. What should I focus on? And I tell people, build a decent website and have a system in place to get reviews and then just deliver great care and everything's going to take care of itself.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay. So if I'm hearing this correctly, the practices that have five-star reviews actually have less revenue than practices that
1: have less than perfect
0: five-star reviews.
1: Yes, because nobody's perfect.
0: Right. Okay, so if I'm if I can make a leap from what the data says to an assumption, it's that when someone receives a negative review somewhere online that uh
1: they shouldn't freak out. <laughs> In yes. <short. laughs> yes. Yeah. You I should mean, respond to positives and negatives, not violating HIPAA, but you should respond with thank you for the review or thank you for the review. If you'd like to discuss this, call Betty in our front office. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I think that a lot of, a lot of chiropractors are really concerned about negative reviews because they feel like it's going to reflect badly on them when someone in the future lands on the page, the website, whatever, and sees this negative review. And, you know, (sighs) The more resilient I become, the more I'm just kind of like, whatever, like, go ahead and say whatever you want to about me. I know who I am. I know my integrity. I know if I've messed up or if I haven't, I know if it's true or if it's not true. And if there's, if someone says something and I'm like, Oh, I'm freaking out. It's because I believe that there's a little bit of truth to what they are saying. <laughs> and so, is. yeah, I just feel like it's, it's like validating what I've been saying for a while. which was just, you know, negative reviews are going to happen and we do the best that we can to have them not happen. But if they happen, when they happen, it's okay.
1: I, I developed a tough skin when I was in politics And I happened to be coming through my political life cycle, which is, I was termed out legally, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. But I was coming through when social media was like on the rise, like when everybody was like, oh, you got to get on Facebook. And now nobody's on Facebook except our grandmother. And, you know, but like everybody was, and I would, I, I remember distinctly coming home and, and I had, so I didn't have HIPAA obviously, but I did have sunshine laws. And so there were certain things I could do and certain things I couldn't do online because it was public. But I remember coming home after like being raked through the coals and um, remembering like having a conversation with my assistant and saying, all right, I know you're not going to like it, but I'm going to open a bottle of wine and I'm going to sit down with my computer and I'm going into the, into the lion's den and I'm going to have a conversation with these people. And years later, When, so when you run for office, you knock on doors, and years later, I would knock on people's door, and they would remember that I was willing to come back and to have that conversation and willing to say things that not everybody was going to love. And, and I take that to the practices that I work with too. I'm not telling you to violate anything, but you have to be willing to respond to things to a certain degree. And even if it just means I'm going to pull it offline and people are going to attack you. And usually when they're attacking, it's more about them and not about you, but we tell practices and, and, you know, it just depends how many reviews you've got, but as, as medical professionals, typically you are analytical in nature and you like data And so online reviews provide us the opportunity to really evaluate the data of what's working and what's not working at the practice. Nine times out of 10, it's got nothing to do with the provider and it's got something to do with some other aspect of the practice. So we will do oftentimes, and it's really easy, grab your reviews, put them into an Excel sheet, look at them, categorize them based on sentiment and see what those themes are telling you and then make adjustments at your practice based on what your reviews are telling you. There's so much data available and there's data to back up that says, if you focus on reviews, you'll bring in revenue. It's just reviews are this untapped area that I feel like some docs want to just put their head in the sand over. But if, you, if you're a data junkie, go in and look at that data and make adjustments. It's fantastic.
0: It can be a scary thing to do mm-hmm. because you may not necessarily like what you see, but I've learned over the last year in particular that just having positive feedback from all the people all the time isn't really that helpful because when someone actually says, you know, I love you, but here's something that you could do better or differently that would really help me have a better experience. Then you can actually make an improvement for that person. If all the feedback is just positive and you're so great, I love you. You're wonderful. You never do anything wrong. Then there's nothing given to you. That's actually useful to help you make positive improvements. And we recently did this in my, in my membership program, we um, sent out a survey to all of our 200 plus members. And I was like, okay, here we go. (laughs) Let's see what we get back. And some of the things that I learned were not surprising. Some of them were actually really surprising. And i was so glad that we had um, like collected that data and looked at that information because without it, I was just making assumptions. I was thinking like, Everybody loves this part,
1: right? Actually, not so much. (laughs) That's exactly the case. And let's not be fooled. I mean, negative reviews and like when people talk about us like that, it keeps you up at night. And especially as women, it really drives home. So, I mean, it's hard, but it's a balancing act. And if you can get, I think if we can get past that, they're, they're saying something negative about us, Mm -hmm. they're like, you just said, it's such a learning experience and it could just make us better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is a random question, but sometimes what I see in groups for chiropractors or in other places on social media is, Hey, let's get together and create a pod. We're all going to like our, like each other's Facebook pages. We're all going to leave each other a review on the page and then um, make sure that you comment or something along those lines. It's usually like liking the page, following the page, leaving a review on the page. And every time I see those, I'm like, Oh, don't do that. What are your thoughts about that?
1: I, I'm on the same page as you people. Look, there, there's a reason that five star rated healthcare facilities see less revenue because people see through the BS. And I feel like people are smart enough that they they will see that. Mm-hmm. And even yeah. if they're not, even if they don't, even if you're pod and everybody's like distanced out enough. I mean, come on, there's either there's the right way and the wrong way to do things. And I just don't think that's the right way to do it. That's just not the authentic way to get reviews and things of that nature.
0: So what do you think, and I don't, I don't know how deep you want to go into this, what do you think is a good way to go about getting reviews for your practice?
1: Um, I think that there's a couple of schools of thought in it. The, the one that I'm most, most interested in these days is a way to do it automated where it doesn't involve the provider asking for it. Um, and where everybody is treated equal so a couple of years ago you would you would basically you would get a list from the provider and then you would upload it into a system a software system and it would send out a message either email or text-based and you would get it back and one and two one two and three star reviews would get filtered and the and the practice would be able to respond to those directly and then four and fives would get shipped out and then a couple years ago google changed its policies and it's called gating reviews and you really just can't do it so and now it's all or nothing which is i which is honestly it's the way to go about it so now we just for the most part either accept a list like a, a secure file transfer and send it through a partner where they can just email it out or fax it or text it to everybody and everybody gets asked for a review To me, that's the absolute best way to do it. Treat everybody the same. If you've got bad reviews coming in, then focus on what's happening in the practice and don't worry about trying to change people's opinion. And when you do it that way, it's just volume and everybody gets treated the same. But with that said, I like, you know, and most chiropractors for the most part, at least my experience is typically smaller offices. It's a little bit more one-on-one, whereas like a busy orthopedic practice or ENT could be 500 plus patients a day. It just depends. But I really like creating a mechanism internally where you can accept feedback before they walk out the door. And so what I mean by that is it's really easy to have on your website, like website address slash feedback and put a form on your website And put some signs up in the private places where it's just the patient kind of sitting there on their own or cards or something and say, look, tell us how we've done. Because if you give them an opportunity to get something off their chest in a way that's a little passive and they don't have to have a face-to-face conversation because some people are uncomfortable, then negative reviews, sometimes that's what it is. They just want to get something off their chest. Mm -hmm. And I just think that is the easiest way to go about it because I don't expect the chiropractor, and I don't expect the office manager to have to ask for those reviews because you're really busy. And it's hard sometimes because you didn't get into the business of selling. You got into the business of healing. And so it's just easier to take the provider out of the equation and just to set up a system that's email or text-based, send them out the invitation for a review and ask everybody to do it for you and then learn from what you, what what it says. I love it. Easy. It's so much easier if you just hands off.
0: For sure. Yes. And especially because that's, I mean, that's something we talk a lot about on the podcast and within our communities is, you know, how can we eliminate the overwhelm and the exhaustion of the balance of life and practice and family? And then also, marketing itself feels overwhelming and exhausting and draining for a lot of chiropractors, Mm -hmm. especially women who are chiropractors. And uh, I just, I think, you know, it's an essential function of a business. And so we've got to figure out how to make it feel not so exhausting so that we can do it in a sustainable way over the long term.
1: Absolutely. Just automate it, automate it. And then you focus on what you're good at, which is delivering care and, you know, having a great patient experience, you know, because if you, if you treat the patients right, they're going to treat you right. Same thing. Like if you treat your employees, right, they're going to treat your patients, right which is in turn going to give you those positive reviews. So just remove yourself from the equation whenever possible.
0: Tell us a bit more about how you
1: help clients through insight. So we, um, we do a lot of things, but we basically, we simplify your marketing so you can run your practice. That's kind of our why statement. We have about 10 people and all we do every day is help practices attract and retain patients. And so, a couple of years ago, we set it up where we have like three prong approach or a, a kind of a three package approach where we would create like a complete turnkey solution for marketing. So it just depends what a practice wants. So we do, you know, as low as $750 to as much as a couple thousand dollars a month. And it includes a new website, all the reputation management, all the social media management, all the analytics. And then I have a team of myself and one other who are more of the strategic thinkers that are kind of always there, available on call. But basically, we set it up where a practice can come in, buy a marketing package, and just it's automated for them. And they don't have to worry about it anymore; it's just handled. And then we work with the practice to nudge them along when we need it.
0: Cool. Okay. What would you like chiropractors
1: to know about marketing that they don't that they don't know? already But they don't know. I don't know what they don't know, but they don't know. I um,
0: <laughs> I love you all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm a, we- no, I'm a weirdo <laughs> because I studied marketing in my undergraduate degree, so it's like I'm a we- I'm a really weird combination.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna say, um, you know, if you can only do one or two things, make sure you have a decent website, and make sure that you really are leaning into online reviews because your patients are gonna tell you the best stories, tell you the best stories. Be authentic and be as authentic as you can be because you, in chiropractic, you're not just a number, it's more, you've got an opportunity, you're touching somebody. So you have an opportunity to build a relationship. And so how can you take that relationship building and continue that in the digital world? And Mm -hmm. so you can do that through those patient stories And to a certain degree, you can do that and being authentic in the way you're presenting yourself on social media and things like that. And as we're like coming out of this COVID-19 stuff, um, because I've really been, it gives you the chance at least being at home. I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm working more than I've ever worked. And I'm absorbing a lot of media that I may not have absorbed other in other ways. For sure. Yes. But get outside of your industry. And look at how other industries are approaching marketing and then put your hat, you know, look at it through that lens because you can learn so much from what other industries are doing and turn that into an opportunity for your practice. And so, if I was gonna leave somebody with advice, I'd say make sure you have a handle on your digital footprint because that's how people are looking for you. Be authentic in everything that you're doing so you can convey your personality out there into the world and then take your cues from other successful industries and surround yourself with really smart people.
0: Sounds easy enough. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> if someone that's listening to the show today would like to learn more about you and about your company, where is the best place for them to go?
1: Yeah, sure thing. So if, if you're they are a podcast listener, check us out at Dr. Marketing Tips. It's Dr. DR marketing tips available on iTunes and all the other shows. And then you can check us out on our website, which is insight. I N S I G H T M as in marketing G as in group.com. Awesome.
0: Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for all that you shared today with our audience and for um, reaching out and making a connection. It was, um, it was
1: fun. Yeah, I really, I really do appreciate it. And thank you for taking time with me. (laughs) You're welcome. If you ever need anything, give me a call. Yeah. let me know when this, let me know when the episode airs and, um, we'll, um, we'll make a big push on it. Thank you again for joining me
0: for this episode of the aligned women podcast. If you love this show, please share your favorite episode with another woman in chiropractic. Think of your classmates and the woman who practice near you. Is there one who you know is tired, overwhelmed, exhausted, or just burned out? If so, let her know about the aligned women podcast right away. And if you love what you hear on this show and want more insight into Aligned Women's proven method for women in chiropractic on how you can have more time freedom and more financial freedom, how you can build a practice full of the right patients, not just more of them, and how you can feel confident that you're making the impact you were born to make as a chiropractor, be sure to grab the Aligned Chiropractors Survival Guide at alignedchirosurvivalguide.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.